Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is supported this week by Pestex Pest Control. Ben with Pestex sprays my house every few months and was here right before Thanksgiving because we had some spiders. I use Pestex because they're locally owned. They use pet-friendly products, and most importantly, they don't have a one-size-fits-all approach. They evaluate every customer's spider problem or pest problem and find the best way to solve it. A lot of people probably think you don't have to spray for bugs in the late fall and early winter because it's too cold for them, but here's what happens. This is what Ben told me. Sometimes they just go dormant in cold weather and they lay low and they wait for a nice spring-feeling day to come out. We have those sometimes in the fall. And then you've got spiders. So you probably don't want that. To get in touch, call or text 806-433-8841 or look up Pestex on Facebook or Instagram. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum, the Ronald McDonald House Charities of Amarillo, the Girl Scouts of Texas Oklahoma Plains, to Amarillo Habitat for Humanity and the Discovery Center Collective. Those are all amazing organizations, and I hope you'll support them this season. Read the free e-edition of Brick and Elm at brickandelm.com. Today's guest is Matthew Rosas. Matthew is the local fashion designer behind Momentum of Roses, an upcycled apparel brand. We'll talk about what that means in this episode. Matthew also spent several years as the head men's basketball coach at Holy Cross Catholic Academy. And if you think fashion design and athletics don't really match up, well, you haven't been paying much attention to, for instance, NBA fashion. Matthew's apparel is really interesting, and he has a collaborative fashion show coming up on December 2nd. So I wanted to hear from him about his work, about pursuing a fashion career in Amarillo, and everything else that he's got going on. So here's Matthew Rosas. Matthew Rosas, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you, Jason. Yeah. Excited, yeah. Happy to have you here. I, I want to start with you, like I start with all my guests, and that's just to ask you why you're here in the first place. So what brought you to Amarillo? So born and raised here. Okay. Born and raised, yeah, I just grew up here my whole life, never... Never really moved anywhere else except for college. I was at Plainview at Wayland Baptist. Okay. And uh, but yeah, Emerald has been home. Where'd you go to school here? Uh, Holy Cross. Holy Cross. Okay. Holy Cross Catholic Academy here. Mm-hmm. Did you grow up within the Catholic school system? No, so or? I went to elementary at Lawndale. So I was in public school up right. to fifth grade and then ended up going to Holy Cross for six through 12. Okay. Mm-hmm. Still in that area though, I guess. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Did you enjoy that? Going to Catholic school. I mean, having I, grown up, you go to go to Lawndale. You're gonna have a lot of friends. Yeah, and then those friends yeah. are not necessarily gonna follow you exactly. To Holy Cross, so, so, so my big thing was we were a big sports family, mm-hmm. and so I did like the whole club baseball and the whole baseball scene. So I think that was the hardest part was like transition from a school or an opportunity to play baseball to a school that didn't have that at all. Yeah, and so that was I guess that was the biggest shock. I did keep my you know. My friend, I had a small friend group already, so it wasn't too bad transitioning to that. And I really enjoyed the small school setting. Okay. I really did. And uh, that that necessarily wasn't the hard transition. I guess it was more of the sports side, which then opened up an opportunity to fall in love with basketball. And, okay. you know, I actually coached basketball, and we can get into that later, yeah, for yeah. seven years um, at Holy Cross. I actually did that. I went back and taught and coached there. Were you, were you there while uh, Robert Bush Yes, he's the one that hired okay, me. Yes, yeah. yeah, he was a good Ama- friend of mine. Amazing man, great yeah. man. 
So tell me about going to Wayland uh, mm. after uh, after graduation. Did you go with a purpose in mind? Did you know what you wanted to do at that point? No, not at all. Um, I wanted to play basketball. Okay. Yeah, I went to Wayland to play basketball. I was there for uh, a year. Okay. They offer you a scholarship or mm-hmm. anything, or you were walking? Yeah, on? yeah. So I, I had a partial scholarship. Okay. And was able to go and played and practice. I redshirted that first year and got to, you know, be involved with everything. And it was it was an amazing experience, but I realized like that wasn't necessarily the move I wanted to continue. Okay. I wanted to stay around the sport somehow, but I knew athletically <laughs> I wasn't yeah, necessarily there compared to. You didn't have to, the gifts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I just, you know, I was realistic about that. And a lot of people, it was really cool because the majority of the team was international. Yeah. So a lot of the full ride, I mean, all sports at Wayland, track, uh, softball, you know, baseball, a lot of them are international players. So being involved with that culture was uh, was really cool and the diversity within that. But yeah, I just, you know, opened my eyes to, I don't think I want to continue that and I missed home. Mm-hmm. And so, but I knew I wanted to stay around the sport. And a lot of that was based off of like maybe my insecurities that I didn't feel comfortable going into, whether that's the creative side or I don't know, intellectually, I just, mm-hmm. you kn- I knew I wanted to be around sports and I knew that's what I was good at. I didn't know if I was good at connecting with kids or developmental side of things, but I was like, this is, this is what I want to do. But I initially went for uh pharmacy because okay. I knew there was a lot of money and, yeah. <laughs> and my mom, my Pharmacists mom, are always in demand. Yeah. And my mom is a pharmacy tech. Okay. So I was like, let me try this, and that didn't last long. So did you end up getting like a teaching degree or education? Yeah. So I, I went for uh, sports and exercise science, okay. which then you can uh, get an emphasis. I had an emphasis in like social studies for the teaching side of things, and I was able to you know, go take my PPR and you know, get in my certificate for all that certification. And then I went and got my master's. Okay. And so I spent a lot of time in school just developing that career and absolutely loved it. But I did that for seven years. Tell yeah. me, tell me about the transition from Holy Cross, which is a Catholic academy, to Wayland Baptist, which is obviously a Baptist university. Like, yeah. was was there a little? Was the culture? Did it feel different to you, having grown up in it, the, the Catholic system? It honestly didn't. It didn't feel like too big of a transition, but there were a lot of rules, mm-hmm. um, especially playing on the basketball team. There were a lot of rules that were based off of uh, Baptist ideology, and yeah, you know yeah. that. And so learning that, I was actually there the first year they actually were able to do a dance, a school-like. Yeah, it was like so a school, funny. and I was like, wh- wh- everybody was freaking out. There was controversy in playing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a whole thing, but uh, I was a little confused because I didn't know too much about, you know, the religion side of, mm-hmm. you know, Baptist. But, it seems uh, so quaint now, but yeah, I I remember when my, my wife went for a while. My sister went to a Baptist university. Okay. And yeah, they couldn't have any dances on campus. So Yeah. And especially we had a lot of dorm rules uh-huh. and things like that. And so that uh that threw me off a little bit, but the transition was I mean, sports was honestly like the reason I was there. Right. And so my focal point was on that. But that's a good question because that, you know, the adjustment now that I think about it, there were things that you had to think twice on before hmm. doing based off of the rules that were set. So. so you graduated, you got your master's, you came back here and started teaching and coaching at Holy Cross. I went and interned at quite a bit of public schools here in town mm-hmm. and was going under those coaches because I wanted initially to coach football. That was like my my love. I wanted, That's where my vision was to be eventually a head varsity football coach. And uh, 
I, I went through that process and interned, and I saw that there was an opening at Holy Cross for basketball. And I don't know, I, saw, I, I heard this amazing thing, and just the study within college was like the African culture and Indian culture, they developed these, these kids into opening their minds and going off and pursuing those degrees, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day to come back home and develop their home okay. with what they learned. And so it was just a cool thing that I always stuck to. And I was like, I kind of want to do that with Holy Cross right. because they provided a lot for me. And I wanted to hopefully do that at some point where that's in the sports realm. And it's crazy because it was all about sports until you start coaching, getting connected to these kids and the sports means nothing. Yeah. It, it come in, co- completely diminishes and it's all about the relationship building, the developmental side of, you know, that relationship okay and so um yeah it just kind of grew from there but did you did you have a different perspective coming in as a teacher and a coach there after having gone to that school like does it does it change the way you kind of think about it a hundred percent a hundred percent and that goes with parenting i'm first and foremost before business or coaching or teaching or anything i'm a father Mm -hmm. and so when you go into those those situations I think it is important to think as a father when you're dealing with these kids because you don't under, you the best way to understand their background is through compassion and you know openness because that's the best way to stay connected especially to those kids who do struggle and being authentic mm-hmm. and as a dad that's the one thing that I pride myself in is trying to be as authentic to my kids and show them that I mess up too um you know to build a connection and so uh, I'm sorry. What no, was your question no, again? No, I, I think that's, that's, <laughs> a, that's a great response to that. Like, thinking of the difference, when you've got a small school like that mm-hmm. and you go through it as a as a kid, you're going to have a different perspective returning to it as faculty in maybe the yeah. benefit mm-hmm. that you see, um, what sets Holy Cross apart, what makes it a special place. Uh, and I wondered if if that, you know, coming to it from that perspective as an adult sort of changed the way you thought of of it when you As were a kid. Going, yeah, 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 100%. Because, I mean, but it also allowed me to take a step back and look at how I thought of things at that time and mm-hmm. be more, you know, uh, patient. See it through the kid's eyes. Exactly. And especially going to the same school, which obviously culturally and things have can change within the school system, even if it is, you know, private or public. Right. And so going back, there were some similarities that I could see. I remember doing that. I remember, you know, saying this or acting this way. And it's like, okay, how can I approach that? That maybe my coaches didn't necessarily do and what I wish they would have done. Right. And so it kind of gave me perspective in that. Tell me where it sort of fits within education in Amarillo. Now that you've mm-hmm. experienced it on both sides, a lot of people don't think about Holy Cross if they are not, yeah. uh, if they're going to public schools or really aren't immersed in the, the Catholic culture here. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about the role that it plays. From a private to a public? Yeah, I mean, just just within maybe the overall education. Who are the kids that go there? Mm -hmm. Why do they go there? It's a big uh, difference from when I was there and when I taught there. Because when I was there, we were bringing a lot of kids who were, whether they were kicked out or expelled from other schools, and we were just bringing them in to our school in order to keep the numbers high. Yeah, it was an option when public school wasn't working for them. Exactly. And so we... You know, it, being a part of that as a student was so much different than whenever I was teaching because we didn't necessarily go that route anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were interviews and things that we did have to take in place. But there was so much help that was provided at Holy Cross to help those kids who wanted to be 
those parents who wanted to send their kids to a Catholic school. Right. And there was so much help to to give them that opportunity. And that was that was a really special thing to witness. But the one thing I really loved about Holy Cross and being able to compete against other private schools, mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying that they weren't, but the one thing I noticed was the diversity okay. within the school was special. How long did you work there? What, what were your Seven years? years. Okay. 2015 to 21. 21? Yeah. Okay. When you got toward the end of that tenure, what was, what was the mindset? What were you thinking? Um, time to move on and try something else? Or Yeah, th- there was a lot that went into that decision as well. Um, things that I necessarily uh, messed up on and things that maybe that I look back and not necessarily regret, but understand that it could have went differently. Okay. And it wasn't necessarily that I was pushed out, but it did force a decision for myself to look at it and be like, okay, is this what I want to continue to do? Or I already have, I have loved fashion my whole life Mm -hmm. or start a business within that. And it was during kind of like that COVID season where I taught, during COVID and you know, that played a role as well because then you come back and the dynamic of the student teacher relationship is obviously different. Yeah. It changed it for everybody. For everybody. And so it will change it forever, I believe, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I, at that point it was the biggest decision was as a coach, I spent so many hours with those kids and I built some of the best relationships that I still have today. But it was like, what about my kids? Hmm. What about my kids? And it was that was the biggest thing that opened my eyes was I was spending time. I was I was at school from six in the morning until eight at night daily, and yeah. then game days. You're traveling, a long traveling, way and from- then weekends film. And it was like the way I coached was like I always looked at it as a college level, and so. But when you do that, you have to commit fully. Yeah, and I was committed fully, but it. It took a toll. Had you always had sort of a creative bent? Uh, I grew up drawing, and I always had, is that what you're asking? Yeah, like the yeah. creative side of things. I grew up drawing and absolutely loved sketching Dragon Ball Z and things like mm-hmm. that. I would do that for my dad. But again, sports was a big part of our lives. And in the 90s and early 2000s, it was like, for me personally, I can't speak for everybody, but it seemed like the culture was you couldn't be both. Yeah, It was like choose a realm and stick to that realm and succeed at that realm. And sports was it. And so that whole creative side was thrown out the window. And it's still scary to this day trying mm-hmm. to tap into that because I still, I get that imposter syndrome maybe because of, you know, not being able or feeling like I had to choose. So, yeah. I, I feel like when I grew up, if, if you thought of fashion, you didn't ever think in terms of athletes. No, you know? not at all. It was, it's always, you know, models and Vogue magazine and stuff like that. And then we've gotten into the past, I don't know, 15, 20 years maybe. And you start to see like NBA players really get into fashion. Absolutely love it. Yeah, You know, yeah. It, like people are photographing them as they walk from the bus to their, <laughs> right. to the locker room because they're wearing, you know, outlandish stuff or really creative stuff. And, right. a lot and, of color. and the cool thing about that, that I think is the, in the, biggest asset was a lot of these athletes are looking for brands you know i don't want to you know like myself Mm -hmm. who has these one-of-one pieces that nobody else can find or nobody else knows and so a lot of these it's giving opportunity to a lot of smaller brands across the nation across the world 
to reach out to these athletes, and it, I, it's a beautiful thing to so see. So tell me how your your interest in drawing, your your creativity as a kid, sort of found its way into expressing itself in fashion. How did that happen? Yeah, so, I mean, I initially started with um, – it all started honestly with designing warmups hmm. for the athletes. For the kids, yeah. Yeah, for your and teams. yeah, exactly. It all started with that. We would have I personally believe we had the best warm-ups. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like for those kids, they want to look good out there. And I understood that. And so I would stay in connection with them. Hey, what about these guys? And it all started with color palettes. I'm obsessed with blending colors okay. and trying to mix and match. And and it was just so much fun doing that side of things. And designing the jerseys and again the warm-ups and even to shoes like working with the kids hey coach how, how does this shoe look with this and that was always like kind of the initial start That's really interesting. of the brand yeah and uh it, it just led into the color palette was where i focused everything on hmm. and then I, I initially started just doing one of one designs hand painting before i learned to sew and I was just hand painting on graffiti tagging spray paint. I didn't know how to graffiti. I was just spray painting and messing around. And things just kind of your vision. Yeah, the more you do it, the more you start to open up to like different visual perspectives. Okay. And also you have to have inspirations outside of it's not like reinventing the wheel. Somebody else invented that before you, but it's like your touch on it. Yeah. Yeah. The fashion world almost seems cyclical. That that stuff that was really popular in the 70s, falls oh, yeah. out of favor in the comes 80s, back. comes yeah. back in the 90s or the 2000s. And so there is a lot of, there's a lot of creativity, but a lot of that crea- creativity is repurposing old Absolutely. styles or, or other fashions. You and said it best. That's, that's yeah. kind of how you do it, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly everything that I do. Have you ever heard of Virgil Abloh? I haven't. Off-white. Um, so he became uh, the first black man to run men's Louis Vuitton wear. Okay. And uh, But he initially started in streetwear. He was doing the graffiti tagging and hand painting and just really rugged, rough. And uh, it was all, but he, he, his idea was, I just want to make a product 3% better than what it was. Hmm. So Nike ended up hiring him and he was able to design on the Jordan 1s. And it looked just like a Jordan 1, but he put a couple of his flares in there, and it completely shifted the perspective of what that shoe and silhouette looked like. And I always thought that was just, that's powerful. Because so many people, I feel like in any realm, want to completely reinvent it and be the first. But keep what what already is beautiful, just add your touch to it. And I, I don't know, I just thought that was a cool you know, idea that he had. And I kind of, that's all I want to do that, like getting these thrifted items and just making it 3% better. So tell me how Momentum of Roses mm-hmm. developed. Like as you started getting into fashion, doing some of the um, the tagging and stuff that you were doing on clothing, mm-hmm. like when did you start to think, okay, this is going to be a thing. I'm going to turn this into a brand. I'm going to start pushing in this direction. Right. Yeah. So it was coming up with the name first. My last name is Rosas, which is roses in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And so I've always been obsessed with the roses. I have tattooed all over me. And I, I just, you know, I've always loved that. My mom's favorite flower is a yellow rose. Okay. So I'm like, let's stick with that rose side. And my last year coaching, every year I, I was coaching, I would have like a key term, whether that be uh, persistence, accountability. And we would focus on that in the season and always come back to it. My last one was momentum. And it was like, and I would tell the players, like, hey, make one play and it's going to shift the momentum because this is a game of momentum, basketball. Mm-hmm. You can't play a perfect game, but the team that can have momentum 
for a longer period of time is going to win. And that's in life as well. We get in ruts, but all it takes is just one choice, one opportunity to change that moment into what you want. And so momentum, and I was trying to find that middle word of, I was thinking momentum by roses, but I'm big on like acronyms and stuff. So MBR, I know that don't sound Mm -hmm. good. I already drew my, my image of the rose flower face, like Mm -hmm. line drawing. I'm like, okay, of, that's a little off. And I just kind of played with that for the longest time. But then I saw MOR, momentum of roses. Then you look at it more. We always want to continue to develop more. We always want us to keep these connected more. And so like, Work, yeah, the letter, yeah. letters work. So coming up with a name for the business mm-hmm. or a logo is one thing. Yeah. You know, at what point did you start to think, okay, this might be something that I can turn my full attention to? Right. Um, and, you know, beginning to sell it, beginning to retail it, not just designing your your one-on-one or one-of-one, yeah. you know, pieces, but actually like finding an audience for it. Uh, well, I knew in Amarillo... There wasn't, it's scary going into there, just not being an artist and jumping in. And I knew in Amarillo, like the fashion scene isn't necessarily focused on. And I was like, well, why can't I be one, you know, help develop that? Yeah. And kind of be the one that kind of starts up maybe something, I don't know. And that gave me some confidence to jump in there. And because there wasn't competition. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is interesting. <laughs> to be completely honest. within the creative fields, we have art galleries, we have art shows oh, all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very few fashion shows. I mean, I've, yeah. I remember a couple, and, and, and sometimes they're in service of an existing boutique or, you know, it's some sort of special event. But, yeah, nobody's just doing independent fashion shows here. Right. And, well... The, the amazing thing about that was whenever I first started, like it's like whenever you get a car and then you see on the road all the same car, yeah, yeah. it was just like that. Like I started this this brand and I started like getting into that. And then you start seeing other people who have been doing it. It's like, that's amazing. Like you, I guess you kind of move your attention towards a different realm or a different path. And then you start realizing the right. same people on the path. Um, but yeah, that's... That's kind of what kickstarted it was. I I want to I want to be in that for Amarillo. I want to do it for Amarillo, and got started there. And okay. I was just doing simple graphic tees. I was I was doing a couple one of ones hand painting, but it was mainly like screen print. Okay, I was working with the manufacturer and getting them screen printed, and just going that route first. Did a first job. I was still teaching at that time. Okay, and I stopped coaching, and I was only teaching. And I asked them. Hey, I think I'm gonna learn to sew. Can I coach? I used it like that. Can I coach a sewing class with some of the students? And they were like, "Yeah, <laughs> let's do it." I don't think I taught them anything because I was learning. Yeah, you're learning. In the <laughs> I was learning in the process, but these kids were around and they wanted to learn, and we were learning together, and that kind of pushed that as well. This was my last semester when teaching. This was when I knew I wasn't signing my papers back mm-hmm. to go back. Let's start now. Right. And so uh, it just gave me comfortability to kind of be involved with that and kickstart this business, kickstart this brand. Did you start to sell online, like open up an online storefront and I, see if you could find? I, I initially did. Um, 
Online's tough. It was mm-hmm. tough for me. There's a lot hard. of competition. Like, yeah. you're not just competing against the Amarillo market. All of a sudden, it's everybody in the world. Right? Exactly. And you start reading, okay, Facebook ads. I didn't even have Instagram. I just did it all through Facebook. So I was like, Facebook ad, let me try this. It was a waste of money for me. And I was like, well, okay, what's this thing I hear about pop-ups? Let's look into that. Or vendors. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me let me look into events. And I started doing that and just putting out some stuff and Sold a few a few shirts. I'm like, oh, there's some money that can be made, mm-hmm. and then uh, just kind of grew from there. Uh, but I started initially at Holy Cross at the school, and I sold a couple shirts to teachers, and some students liked it as well. And it was just like a thing. They let me uh, just kind of promote it a little bit, and then it just grew from there. Yeah. So this this is obviously uh, an audio medium so people can't see your product but yeah. so explain to listeners like what's some of the stuff that you design looks mm-hmm. like like if they were to come to you at a pop-up what kinds of things are they going to find earthy tones that's the first thing we talk color palettes i'm big on earthy tones uh, browns olives maybe blue just soft tones mm-hmm. within there so you'll see a lot of those colors involved but looking at the one of one pieces which are unique and the idea is nobody else has it. You'll see multiple fabrics cut and sewn into them. So in particular, I do like a lot of denim jackets. Okay. And also whether that's plaid patches or um, – and you'll also see a lot of ripped fraying of the fabric. It's a lot of like New York street style type look. It's hard. Okay. It's so hard. No, I, I mean I've <laughs> seen your work and so that makes sense to me. But Yeah. Um, I do have – like large, big, bold uh, logos, my okay. logo on it that I screen print myself uh, or I'll do like DTG or anything like that. Tell me the scope of your business right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as as you've gotten further into it, as your style has developed, like who's buying your products? I look into like the 18 to like 35 ages. Mm-hmm. And initially it was heavy street sneaker culture. That's kind of where it started. I'm starting to get more into like the elegant. Okay. Maybe uh, a higher end. Higher end, yeah. And again, this is all my inspiration is Virgil Abloh. Kind of like how he started with that New York Street grungy skater, you know, sneakerhead vibe Mm -hmm. into like a mesh of being able to have that same audience but carry them into like, I don't like the word high fashion, but more elegant. Okay. Yeah. Are you reaching people outside this area? Yeah, so I over this past summer, I said I'm going to start traveling outside of Amarillo. And so I was going to Dallas, and I sold really well in Dallas. OKC was great. Midland, Texas. Hmm. Midland, Texas, I was I have family down there in okay. Odessa. So I went down there, and I'm like, let me try Midland. Over the summer, I probably went over 10 times. Wow. <laughs> Just, and and that's, that was my best market, was Midland. And what is it about that market? Market that I don't. There, there is. There's a lot of money. Okay, well, <laughs> so that, maybe that, a, helps. that helps a lot. But uh, the fashion and the art, they have a great art scene down hmm. there. Um, the music, they have a beautiful music venue called Tailgate down there that they do, and I think that brought in you know a lot of opportunities. I did a few events with them and. That was great. I did sneaker events as well. All right. And there's a there's a heavy sneaker culture down there. And that was the market. 
And so I, I went down there and it was nice having family down there and mm-hmm. I would see them. They support me. They're actually coming down on December 2nd for the show. So okay. it's like, it's, a, it's really cool. Midland was great. Um, yeah. Those were the three main ones, Dallas, OKC, Midland, that I was just traveling to over the summer, over and over. So you you mentioned a show. I, I want to know what goes into putting together a fashion show. Because mm-hmm. um, that's the sort of thing that people will see the end product. They'll see people on some sort of a runway or catwalk right, right. wearing the clothing and don't realize all the preparation that goes before that. Yeah. So like, tell me when you decide, okay, I'm going to do a show. Um, what do you have to put together? What are all the pieces that you think of? Jason, I'm tired, man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm tired, but I, we're still more than a week away. I know, I know, but we've been planning this for four to five months. Okay. Four to five months. So it's not just me, uh, improper tear. He's a collage artist that goes by Chase Brady. Chase Brady. He has changed my life. Um, I don't know why I'm getting emotional. No, well, I don't know why. Chase is really talented. He's really uh, talented. Yeah, that dude has changed my life. He, uh, the way I, starting a business and trying to be a creative and not having a lot of imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. he took that away from me. Hmm. And uh, why? I think I think a lot of people, <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. I think a lot of people, Almost everybody I know has that imposter syndrome. Like yeah. even I, I'm almost fifty, and I've I've still got it from time yeah, to time. Yeah. So it's the kind of thing that I think everybody experiences and understands. Mm-hmm. I think they would hear you say he took that away from me, and think, "Oh man, I need to know what that secret is." You know what? What? Yeah. How do you get the confidence that helps you leave that behind? Yeah. No, I, I'm I'm gonna forever have that. <laughs> I know that, and it's accepting that. But Chase has helped. Watered that down, and when I when I'm around him, we were working last night till ten thirty last night. I get off at seven. I go meet him. Mm-hmm. We work for three and a half hours. But when he's there with me, and you know, he it washes away. Okay, it's because he validates myself. I'm a big words of affirmation guy, and he validates that. And I hope I do that for him. But just going back to it, like none of this is possible. I've done three other shows before. And I got asked to do one in Midland for a model agency. And and I've had these great opportunities. And I'm able to put these shows together. And I was able to do it by myself. And then I woke up the next morning and felt nothing. Hmm. It was like, okay, what's next? And I didn't feel, I felt accomplished, but I felt what was the purpose of doing that. Okay. And this one, I'm not going to feel that, I believe, because I'm doing it. With, uh, I'm a team guy. Okay. Yeah. I'm a you coach think it's, first. It's the yeah. collaboration that it's is a big part of accountability. it. Accountability. Okay. It's the accountability. And it's like, I have to hold my end of the bargain, which makes me work hard because I see what he's doing. And that guy don't stop. Hmm. He does not stop. And he's the most talented person I know. So it's like, you want to be better. Yeah. You want to do better. And you want to, not because of me, it's because of everybody else involved. And there are 50 people involved on this wow. show. And I, I want to hear about the logistics of it. Because when you say 50 people, you know, do you think, okay, I'm going to have, you know, this many models. I've got to design this many pieces. 
do you decide all that from the beginning? Do you start designing? I mean, because you've got to design to fit a certain model. You know, the, mm-hmm. the person wearing your clothing is going to be a different shape than maybe another person. And so yeah, it's so. not it's not like you just go buy a bunch of mediums off the rack. You right. know, you're creating this stuff. And so how do you think about presenting the product in that sort of format? Yeah, so that's such a good question because I I sit on so many thrifted fabrics, scraps, canvases, mm-hmm. and uh, it was just going off of that. Okay, let's look at our sizes. But again, it starts with color palette. And we sat down and we went off a side. Let's make sure we have a variety because we don't know the models at that time. This was five months ago. Me and Chase and I were able to design like a small collection. And that's kind of where it started. Like we took it to Dallas mm-hmm. and we were like, what if we did a fashion show? Well, that started with like, okay, well, how many models? Maybe we do seven fits. We're up to 17 fits right now. And wow. it's, yeah. And we're doing top and bottom. So that's a total of like 30 pieces that we're working around you know 30 to 30 to 40 and so yeah but we have 30 models and it's we got to figure out how to get them fitted and how different things but thank god uh you know you got to have faith that these things are going to work and and be ready to pivot because okay. everything does change. Will so. they be wearing your stuff and Chase's stuff? I mean, will it be mixing and matching? Or well, will we, there be we a design- model who's completely Momentum of Roses and a model who's completely... So this isn't Momentum of Roses or okay. Improper Tear. This is Beauty from Afar. Yeah. Okay. And so every piece that is created, Chase and I did together. Got it. And, and, uh, but those are our brands, but we came together and it's Beauty from Afar is like the idea, the brand that we created together. Does it have pieces of both of what you Absolutely. are stylistically? Absolutely. Like, will you look at it and think, okay, I see the the momentum of roses aspect to that. And- 100%. Okay. Yeah. Your questions are good, man. Well, I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> They're good. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Because if you look at Chase's collage art, it's beautiful. It's mm-hmm. so elegant, but he has like that intensity behind it. And mine was just always street rugged. And so... You're going to see a lot of Chase's elegant and, you know, what he has taught me in that realm and being able to find more flowy type of designs, as well as the rugged, simplistic, bold, heavy logos that I love, too. So you're going to see a blend of that. Yeah. Where do you find models? Like, do you work with a modeling agency or do you enlist a bunch of friends to do it? Friends. I'm not a big you got to be professional. My dad gets on to me. Yeah. I think you got to be, pro- but I'm not a big professional guy. So I just wanted to, I'm more authentic. I, I want it. And I'm not saying profession is not authentic, but I want people who have never done this to give them confidence when they see the content that you did yeah. this. And that's, that's what I love more than anything is people that don't necessarily have a model background. A lot of them do, but there are people, this is their first time. And I want to be able to, we want to be able to provide like that opportunity to say, you're beautiful. Yeah. You can do this. Yeah, there's an authenticity to that because a lot of people, they look at models at, say, Fashion Week, and they think, well, sure, that dress looks great on you know this 5'11", you know, exactly. willowy yeah, yeah, yeah. woman who's, who looks so beautiful. Um, it would never work for me, you know? Right. And, and so letting somebody see a, a quote, normal person wearing yeah. a piece of clothing... Um, it makes it a little bit more real and and de elevates it, I guess. Uh, makes it more accessible. To and me, that, that seems like a really smart idea. That that's our goal. Is you look at Fashion Week; these fits are out of this world. They're beautiful and amazing. But when are you going to wear it? We mm-hmm. want our pieces 
for you to wear as a statement piece, but shoot weekly. Yeah, none weekly, of us are going yeah. to the Met Gala Ex- you know, yeah, around exactly. here. So yeah. you want something that's practical. Practical. That's exactly it. And flexible, where you can actually wear it and it feels comfortable. And so uh, what better way to do that on your every, everyday person, mm-hmm. uh, the people we connected with? But that's God has truly blessed me with uh, being able to connect with these amazing, amazing artists, models that are traveling. We're bringing people from Midland. We're bringing hmm. people from Dallas that I just met and got connected with. Hey, do you want to be a part of this? Yes. Come on, let's do it. And it's like, that's what this is about. And so going off the models, we actually have 18 guest artists that are going to be designing for this as well. Okay, cool. They're going to have their own runway to open up the show. And a lot of them don't necessarily do clothing. But I was like, hey, maybe you have something new. Yeah. And we're in a group chat on Instagram, and they're sending... There and I'm like, y'all are better than me. <laughs> y'all need to be doing this. Like, yeah. this is your new realm. Like, shoes. People are designing shoes. People are designing blazers. That's what I want. That's all we wanted to do was just give them. You can do this too, like, and make your money. Yeah, make your money. This might be your new realm. Do you feel like you know Amarillo has always had a reputation as a place for creativity, although that creativity is typically looked like. Um, like art, you know, uh, traditional art, murals at this point. Um, you know, we've got a long history of of painters and that kind of thing. Do you feel like we're sort of positioned for fashion to become a bigger part of that creative tapestry in who this do, area? Hoodoo inspired Chase and I, honestly. Really? Okay. Um, I was able to vent for Hoodoo for the first time this year and was blown away. That's our blueprint. Yeah. Where did Hoodoo start? I don't know. Did you, did you go to the first one? I'm not sure. I did, yeah. And did you go to this last one? I did. I'm sure it's been such mm-hmm. growth. Very, very different, yeah. And how many people have been coming in and the artists they're bringing in. Why can't we do that with Runway and Fashion? And Chase and I, yeah. that's our that's our inspiration. We I don't know. Maybe this is a one and done, but in it, our mindset, it's an annual thing. It takes somebody to champion it. Yeah. And to say, this is a thing, and we're going to make this a thing. And we're going to make this a thing, you know, Maybe yeah. that's the direction you're headed with, with the fashion God world. God willing, yeah. And and that's what that's a, that's our goal. That's our That was on our vision board. This can, And we sit after everyone. We just look at each other and be like, this is crazy. Hmm. Like, we're, we're bringing 18 artists, 13 models, seven other hair and makeup, other staff. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, this is, this is amazing. People want to be a part of something. That's that's not necessarily our names are attached, but they want to be a part of something creative. Okay, and that's a that's a beautiful thing, and that, I think that's what Hoodoo provides, and that's been a big inspiration for us. This episode is supported by Attorney Dean Boyd. My son Owen was in a pretty bad wreck at Texas A and M right after we dropped him off for his sophomore year of college. The wreck wasn't his fault. Um, he got T boned though by another driver at flipped his car. He was able to climb out the sunroof and walk away from it, and we're so grateful for that, but his car was totaled, and Owen was left with a shoulder injury. So one of our first calls was to Dean Boyd's office. Now, I knew Dean. He had been a guest on this podcast back in 2019. I was familiar with his story, but it wasn't until Owen became a client that we really understood what he does and how meaningful that is. 
Working with his office was amazing. They treated Owen so well. They answered our questions. They made the process seamless, and they were able to negotiate a settlement that covered Owen's medical bills and satisfied all of us. Dean's office was a lifeline for us during a really stressful period. And so I just can't say enough good things about the law office of attorney Dean Boyd. If you've been hurt in a wreck, call him at 806-242-3333 or visit deanboyd.com. Okay, I'm back with Matthew Rosas. Matthew, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes the ongoing exhibit High Fashion on the High Plains, which I chose because you're here. It includes gowns from renowned fashion designers that were owned by prominent Panhandle residents like Sybil B. Harrington and Betty Teal Bivens. Um, You can see this exhibit through the spring of 2024 at the museum, so learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, when you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? I see, especially with downtown, the development that is happening right now, it's just so exciting to see the sectors that are being built and the development mm-hmm. of, you know, art and businesses, uh, especially local businesses being, you know, in the plaza areas. And so I continue to hope to see that okay. and just stretch past Polk yeah. into, yeah. you know, the other streets as well. So Okay. Other than wind, what does this area have too much of? Cowboy boots. Okay. That's not, <laughs> as a, uh, I'm not, that's a not big, part of your design as, Yeah, that's. <laughs> I think that's a little too much. I. It was funny because I went to New York, and that's what inspired me to get a sewing machine and start mm-hmm. sewing because every day is a runway in New York City. And then I had to go to uh, Sprint right off the plane, and there was a lot of cowboy boots. And, that was <laughs> I, and it's interesting comparing it to New York because you'll see cowboy boots in New York worn as a fashion statement. And if yeah. you see them in Amarillo, they're worn like because they're a practical piece of exactly, footwear yeah. that you need on the ranch. Like it's, 100%. it's it's a little more authentic, I guess, here. Right. And I and I don't know much about that whole, you know, culture of ranching yeah. and farming. So I probably don't have much to say. Yeah, well, <laughs> but that's <laughs> what does this area not have enough of? I think the the development of the food truck parks mm-hmm. has been Great. I would love to see like food courts developed around there. I'm a big foodie and being able to check those out is amazing. So the the thing uh, that Hood Eats is doing yeah. with the exchange yeah. park is amazing. So I would love to see that continue to grow. But I think that's one of the things that when we travel to a bigger place, a bigger city, we often find ourselves drawn to the food halls. Um, the food hall. There you go. Yeah, the food halls. Yeah, I every time I do that, I, I start thinking of buildings in downtown Amarillo that would be great for that. Let's transform yeah. this into a food hall. Yeah, uh, because it is—it's such a great option, especially if you're traveling with a family and you want to go someplace to eat, but you can't agree on what you want to eat. You're just like, all right, here we are. That's go exactly find whatever it. you want. Yeah, I'd love to see that happen here. Food truck park is is sort of part of it, but then an indoor. Mm-hmm. static food hall I think would be really cool. Absolutely. I, when I was going to OKC, they have an amazing one down there with live music and mm-hmm. all it, uh, just the vibes and the setting that they display is unbelievable. Okay. What's one local nonprofit you personally appreciate? Uh, the Bridge. Okay. Uh, with our show, we're actually donating to them, but they're a, uh, they're a nonprofit organization who helps kids with all the resources in-house for kids in abused homes. And, you know, they do 
investigations, all the, everything in order right. to to help those kids. Yeah, and to protect place. the kids in the process of that, exactly. which is, can be the source of a lot of trauma, I think. so. Exactly. So they, I, I just recently got connected to them. Uh, I also work uh, a couple days at American Best Thrift. Okay. And they are connected with the bridge and... They're just such amazing people. Is that, is that where you get your uh, thrifted items? Is your, exactly you're on it. staff there, that's so exactly. you can pick over I get to see I get to see things coming in before anybody else. That's, so. that's probably a pretty good place. <laughs> What's your favorite local coffee shop? Uh, Palace. All right. For sure. Do you go to a certain one? Uh, Georgia. Okay. I absolutely love that Georgia one. Uh, whenever I first started the business, I was I lived right down the street and would do my sketching and designing there. And okay. It's it's perfect. Meetings and everything. Yeah. yeah. There's there's always a lot of people in the creative fields that end up there too. And if yeah. you just kind of look around oh, uh, yeah. you know, on just a random morning, you'll see a lot of people working on stuff like that. Oh yeah. And they and they uh they do like little pop-ups mm-hmm. for a lot of the artists who ha- do go there consistently and you know, going in and seeing other vendors have their little booth. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um okay, we talked about restaurants. What's your favorite local restaurant or food truck? Uh, food truck was seen on the go. All right. And I'm biased because I taught her and coached her son. But really? Okay. <laughs> so you got a connection to the family then. Yeah. They're actually going to be, you know, we stay connected. Annalisa is absolutely amazing. But they're, they're food. Have you ever had it? Yes. Yeah. Their salted fries are unbelievable. Yeah. So. They are, they're, I think, one of the best food trucks in the local scene, not just because of their, their food, but just because. They seem to be everywhere. Like you oh see them gosh. all the time. They're always growing. Products always consistent and good. Like they're doing really well, I think, right. in, in this culture. And and when I was coaching her son, I saw the process of her developing that mm-hmm. plan. And she wasn't able to necessarily be at certain games. And she was so like, oh, I wish I could, be, but I'm trying to get the. And so seeing where it is, and yeah. now they have two trucks. Right. And it's like, keep going, girl. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Okay, what's the most underrated thing about living in Amarillo? I would say the family atmosphere. I mean, as a father, I there's so many things to do as a family, I believe, and it's comfortable uh, to be able to raise a family. Okay. So I think that's that may be underrated or not talked about as much, maybe. Okay. When was the last time you visited Paladuro Canyon? This past summer. Did you? Uh-huh. Yeah, I took, I took my son out there and okay. my mom and dad, and it was really fun. Just to go yeah. for a hike, or yeah, we just went for or? we did. Uh, we wanted to do the lighthouse, but that might have been too much for my eight year old. So we we did a small one. He created a little list of things to find, and we kind of were trying to find different rocks, different colors, and that was so much fun. All right, yeah, cool, yeah. All right, so that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So, what's one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience? The only thing I would like to endorse is like when you are walking across whether that's the street or in you know in a certain business find somebody and compliment them on their fashion okay compliment them on a piece because you don't realize how much yes it is materialistic but you don't realize how much confidence that can bring to somebody Hmm. and that's our goal you know as with my brand is to find as many and me working at the thrift store that is my goal every day is to find somebody and find a piece that I do like. It's got to be authentic. You got to, you know, it's got to catch your eye, but you can find something simple, whether that's a piece of jewelry or a top and just compliment somebody 
because that really is going to bring confidence in their life and it may make their day. And so that's what I would endorse. That's a great word. All right, Matthew Rosas, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks again to Matthew for the interview. You can find Momentum of Roses on Facebook and Instagram. And don't miss the fashion show on Saturday, December 2nd. That's this Saturday if you're listening when the episode comes out at Stoics Gallery. Thanks also to Wick Realty, Lazy Boy Home Furnishings, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting the podcast, and to Angelina Marie for editing the show. Thank you for listening. Hey Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and all the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Patrick Burns, Katie Linger, Jason Burr, Josh Wood, Wes Reeves, Corey Burns, Barbara and Jim Witten, and Cindy Graham. This has been episode 329. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.